Thanks for checking out the Relentless Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Okay, so how many of you are, would you, would you consider yourself messy? Like you're a messy person. Like, like you own it, you know you're a messy person. Your room's probably gross. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Not maybe, maybe like your, your appearance is fine, but I'm talking about you're the type of person where your room is gross. Or if, you, if you're old enough to drive and you got a car, your car is usually pretty gross. Anybody? Come on, own it. How many of you would say you're, you're that, that person? All right, so, so I'm going to call her out. Christy is also that type of person. So if you don't, now, now it's okay. I love her. I married her. And, and sometimes when you, you know, you, you marry, you get married, hopefully when y'all are a lot, lot older, you'll understand that like marriage, it, it, like you're accepting all the things you like, but you're also accepting some of the things that, that, uh, well, it's in sickness and in health. And Christy's sickness is sometimes that she, uh, if you've ever seen the floorboard of Christy's car, that's her sickness. There is about half of the things we own in our car at any given time, and it's mostly in the floor right around where Christy sits. There's two or three pairs of shoes. There's, uh, there's probably some makeup. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and Christy has, we've been in this series called Cultivate. Christy has a really great skill for, for cultivating things. Christy really knows how to cultivate growing things in dishes that have just been left sitting around anybody like that like like christy will tell a story that there's literally one time where she went to clean out her room when she was a teenager and found a moldy bowl of cereal under the bed like anybody you're that person like you find dishes and old stuff under your bed there right now if you go into christy's office i'm just gonna call you out you go into Christie's office, there are no less than, I think, 30 coffee cups that are pretty much science experiments at this point. Like, she has a candle in her office that she lights to make it smell good, but what she doesn't tell you is it has to counteract the mold smell. I don't know what that has to do with, with Cultivate, except it doesn't. Okay, anyway, so we're in week two of a series we're calling Cultivate. Everybody say Cultivate. So some of y'all, that may be a word that you're not as familiar with. It's a little bit of a bigger word. Uh, it's a fancy word for, for grow, basically. But let me give you the definition so you know what we're talking about. Cultivate means to break up like soil or dirt, to break up in preparation for sowing or planting. So the idea behind this whole series is that we want to cultivate some things in our lives. We want to break up the soil. We want to prepare the ground in our lives and our minds and our souls for some specific things. Um, there are, you know, like the mold in the coffee cup. Some things will just grow naturally if left to themselves. Most things in your life that just grow without any help are not healthy or good for you. Laziness grows naturally. You don't have to help it. I get lazier just by doing nothing. You know, uh, procrastination. I don't have to work at procrastinating. I just get lazier or choose not to do things and it just happens, you know. Uh, getting fat. I don't have to do anything to get fat. It just happens. I just breathe and get fatter. Like, that's just, that's a problem I got. Uh, maybe some other problems mixed in there. But my point is that most things in your life that are good for you, that are healthy for you, that are beneficial for you, do not just grow on their own. They take work. They take time. They take care. They take patience. They take knowledge. They take intention. Uh, in a real, like, normal world sense, you don't accidentally grow a field of corn. Farmers don't just go, you know what, I want some corn here. I'm going to wish 
positively and corn. That's not how it works. There's a ton of time and prep and work that goes into that. Corn does not just accidentally grow in rows like that. They have to prep it. And the same is true with our lives. If you want to grow in a good way, in a positive way, some area of your life, it's going to require intentionality. It's going to require work. If you want to get smarter, you have to study. And that can be anything. Maybe you're not a books person. Maybe you're like, I don't really care about school, but I want to get smarter about Marvel comics. All right. Infinity Wars out. You're like, I got to know more about this. What do you do? You study the comics you read. If you want to get smarter about anything you study, it requires work. If you want to get healthier, you got to work out. You got to put down the cheeseburger and pick up the fruit. You got to intentionally do things. It's not fun. I hate it. But if you want to, you know, get healthier, you got to do it. If you want to know karate, I don't know, maybe you just like Kung Fu fighting. You've got to practice. You don't just naturally learn karate. And if you think you do, record yourself, send it to me, and I will show you. We'll watch it in here together, and you can all, we can all come to the realization that you don't know what you're talking about. If you wanted to learn something, you have to intentionally go out of your way and willingly choose to grow or to cultivate that area of your life. And that's kind of what this whole series is about. Now, we're basing this whole idea off of Scripture, um, in the Bible, it's in the book of Galatians. We're going to read it in just a second. We're, we're, we're told that we're supposed to grow or cultivate some things in our lives. So we're, it's related to fruit, and we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. But if you want to look at the screen, it's up there. Galatians 5.22, it says, But the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the, the atmosphere, the character, the behavior of God. Sometimes we read Holy Spirit, and we think this super, like, mystical energy force The Holy Spirit can have that kind of aspect, but really what it means here is people that follow God and and the the character of God is they're working on it in their lives, it should produce this kind of fruit, this kind of byproduct in our lives. It's on the screen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what we're doing every week of this series throughout the the next few weeks of the the summer, we're going to talk about each one, which on the surface you might think, okay, that sounds kind of boring. But let me tell you that what we'll find as we go through this series is that not only do these things pop up every day, all the time in your life, but most people get these things wrong all the time. And so many of the problems we encounter in life, whether it's dealing with people or school or family or just dealing with our own personal stuff, all the, a lot of these problems we deal with stem from not understanding or not growing or cultivating these things in our lives. So that's kind of why we want to do it. Now, if, you, uh, if you're an inquisitive person, if you ask a lot of questions, you may be asking, why fruit? What's the, what's the parallel there? And I brought some fruit. We actually have some. Fruit. This is a? Apple. This is a? Banana. Good. Most of you got that pretty close. Some of you failed kindergarten a couple times, and so fruit, or maybe you played Fruit Ninja. Like, it's, it's not that hard. Anyway, why fruit? Why, what's so important about using fruit as the image that we're given here? So if, if I asked you, and I did, what is this? What kind of tree does it grow on? An apple tree. So if you walked up to an apple tree, and it's growing these, you would go, hey, I know that tree. It's a what? It's an apple tree. Why? Because you know the tree by its fruit. You see this and you know where it comes from. 
And the same is true when the, God, when the Scripture talks about the fruit in our lives. You should be able to see the fruit in our lives and know what we belong to. So if the fruit of the Spirit, which we read, are in your life, those are the things that people should see and automatically know, oh, you belong to the people that follow Christ. Because if those are the things that Christians produce, and you produce those, then you must obviously be a Christian. Now, unfortunately, the culture we live in, it's kind of become a little twisted, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it doesn't change the fact that we should still be trying to produce these things in our life. The other thing about fruit is not only does it, uh, does it tell you the source, it also provides nourishment. I'm not particularly much of a fruit person. I don't care to eat a lot of fruit, but I know that if I was starving, if I was literally on the edge of starvation, I can eat an apple or a banana, and it can provide me health, nourishment. I can live. I can survive on fruit. Also, the other reason I think they use fruit to describe uh, the fruit of the Spirit is because fruit, like I said earlier, is not accidentally. You could go, oh, well, a tree just, you don't have to tell a tree to grow apples. No, but you do have to plant it. You do have to cultivate it. If you're going from seed to tree that produces fruit, it takes time. It takes intentionality. If you've ever Googled or seen an orchard, that doesn't just happen accidentally. It happens on purpose because it has to be cultivated. So that's kind of why fruit is the whole thing. And we're going to talk about fruit a little bit more later, but I wanted to kind of set that up for you. So this week, we're going to talk about the very first fruit that's mentioned. And it's not just on accident that it's mentioned first. It's not just alphabetical. It's not just the first one that happened to come to mind whenever Paul wrote this letter. It's on purpose. This week, we're talking about cultivating love. Everybody say love. love. Good. Love. Love is a very like obvious word. We all are familiar with that word. Let me kind of give you a scripture to kind of set this up, and then I want to clarify a few things. John 15, chapter, uh, or chapter 15, verse 8, says this. It says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. This is Jesus talking. I have loved you even as my Father has loved me, and so remain in my love. He's saying over and over again, God loves Jesus. Jesus loves people. So if you really want to live for me, live a life of love. Now, the problem is that the word love is a very, very open to interpretation kind of word. We use it all the time in a variety of different meanings and settings. It can mean all kinds of things. We can say something like, I love my family. That's true. I do love my family. Hopefully you love yours. If not, we can, I do counseling. Let's talk about that later. I love my family. That's a perfectly acceptable use of the word love. I love Chipotle. All right? I do. Any Chipotle fans? Or in church, oftentimes you'll hear somebody say, I love God. We love you, Lord. We sing that. How he loves us. We use that version of love too. So there's a lot of different ways that we can apply the word love. It could mean a lot of different things. And they're all true. I love my family. I love Chipotle. I love Jesus. They're all true but with a variety of different impacts. It ranges from a lot of different meanings. When I say, I love Chipotle, it does not mean something super, super deep. What it means is, if I got to eat, I'd prefer to eat at Chipotle. That's what that word love means. If I'm talking about, I love my family, that word means I care about these humans more than I care about any of the other humans. That's basically what I'm saying when I say, I love them. If I said, I love God, what I'm saying is, I love the idea of pursuing my creator so much I want to build my life around it. Now, in each of those circumstances, I use the word love, but they mean very, very different things. So when the scripture says the fruit of the spirit is love, 
we have to understand a little bit deeper, at a deeper level, what it exactly that kind of love means. The word love is used so often in our world that its true meaning from God's perspective has kind of become watered down. And in our current culture, the world that we live in, the love, when people say what love truly is, is very, very different in some very significant ways from what God says. And that's what I kind of want to talk about because the love that our culture, our society, our environments cultivate in us naturally is what I'm going to refer to as self-interest love. It's love that is guided by what is of interest and importance to me. Let me explain a little bit. Uh, A lot of times when we say we love things, not God's love, but the world's love, when we say we love things, what we're really asking is, does the cost of loving this equal the value that I get from it? Like, if we're looking for a pair of shoes, any, sho- any sneakerheads, any shoe people? I know Max is. You see the shoe, and you're like, man, I like those shoes. And then you flip it over, and you look at the price tag. And you, if you're like me, I'm like, nope. Nope, I'll go to Target for my shoes. Got, they go on my feet, and they're going to fall apart eventually, so it doesn't matter. That's, that's me. Why? Because the price does not outweigh the value I get from it. Now, that being said, there's some nice things out there. I can't remember what those type of shoes I told Zeke was I liked. They were cool. I liked them. They were awesome. But then you flip them over and you see the price tag and it's like, not that awesome. Do they make me fly? You know, can I run faster than the flash? If not, I'm not paying that. Why? Because the value does not outweigh the cost for me. Maybe you're, maybe you're a clothes person. Maybe you enjoy shopping and you got all kinds of clothes and you enjoy that. That's awesome. But sometimes the cost does not outweigh what you get out of it. In a, in a relational sense, it can be a friend. Sometimes there are people in our lives that we maybe enjoy, but the cost of hanging out with that person is greater than the value we get. You ever been around somebody that's like not not a terrible person to hang around, but you just feel exhausted when you hung out with them? Like emotionally, they're draining and you're like, dude, You're not that bad a person, but it costs me way more than I get out of this friendship, right? We understand that, I think, understand. The whole point is this love in this type of way in the culture that we live in is all built around the idea of how does this benefit me? And this kind of love can create very serious issues with how we live our lives. Because self-interest love and the love that God's talking about are two very, very different things. They're as different as apples and bananas. They're completely separate in how they look, feel, and impact our lives. So what I want to do real quick, and then we'll move into how this applies, and you'll totally get this, hopefully, and, you know, it'll change your life, is I want to tell you the two, like, what I consider main differences between the God kind of love that they're talking about and self-interest love. Number one, God's love is unconditional unconditional. There's no limit to it. There's no qualifiers on it. There's no condition in which we can unearn his love. There's nothing you can do to make God not love you. Now, there's things you can do to make him disappointed. There's things you can do to bring about consequences in your own life. But there is nothing we can do in this life to unearn God's love. It's unconditional. You can't lose it, give it away, or outrun it. It just is. Now, some people take that truth and they run really far the other direction with it. And they go, oh, well, if I can't unearn unearn God's love, then that means I can just do whatever I want and he's still going to love me. Will he love you? Yes. Does that mean you escape consequences for what you do? No. Let me give you the perfect example. 
I have a son, Dash. I love Dash. He's awesome. He is my favorite. Don't tell the other ones. He's not really, but he's the only boy. So like we have a connection because of that. Sometimes we're the only two like dudes in the house and we're the only sane ones. It feels like, um, anyway, uh, I love Dash, but if Dash grew up and became just a crazy person, decided he hated me, he didn't want to do what I asked him to do, he didn't want to respect me, and he went the complete opposite direction, would I still love him? Yes, he's my son. Would I approve of him? No, I wouldn't approve of that particular choice in his life. Would I, would I want to just shower him with gifts? Probably not, but I still love him. What I say is most people, not most people, but a lot of people get that... that truth twisted, they go, oh, well, God loves me so I can do anything and he'll still love me. Yes. But that does not mean it does not cost you something. And in that moment, let me tell you before you even ever have to get to that bridge and you don't want to cross it because the value of what you get out of it is not worth the cost. God's love is unconditional. First Corinthians in chapter 13 says it like this. And I like this, this translation. So I want to read this to you and you can read it along the screen. It says, if I speak with human eloquence, that's mean, if I, if I speak really good, I have the right words. I talk very well. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak with God's, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, it actually moves, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. bankrupt without love. All of that, that's amazing stuff. If you, if you did any of those things that listed in your life, you would feel pretty good about yourself. But the whole point is if you don't have love, you have nothing. And not, not just any kind of love, not the I love Chipotle kind of love, not the love of your family kind of love. If you don't have the love of God at work in your life, you have nothing. It all falls apart. It's like a car with no engine. It just sits there useless. Self-interest love, if God's love is unconditional, self-interest love then is conditional. If you believe like me, if you think like me, if you talk like me, then I can love you. I can, I can appreciate you. I can care about you. If not, then clearly you've given me the reason to not love you. If you're not helping me, if you're not benefiting me, then I don't need to love you. And that's how our society tells us to act and react to people. If you don't benefit me, then I don't have a reason to care about you. I don't have a reason to love you. If you're not providing something for me, if, then you're just dead weight and I've got to cut you out of my life. That's not what God teaches. Now, that doesn't, God doesn't teach that you pull on all these extra cares and, and issues and carry everybody's junk and just because you're a doormat. It's not that. What it does say is that you love everyone unconditionally. Too many times, and I think this is society in general, but if you ever have Facebook and you're on there, you see this practice all the time. People are friends, they get along, until you, they find out you believe something different. Maybe you believe politically different from them, maybe you believe differently on a certain issue, some sort of a, a really hot-button type of topic. And when they find out you believe differently than them, all of a sudden, that you go from friends to enemies over one issue. If you, if you wanted this particular person to win an election and they voted for this person, oh, we can't be friends because you believe differently than me. That is conditional love. It's love based on meeting qualifications. 
God's love says, I don't care about fill in the blank. I just love you. I don't care that you do this. I don't care that you think this. I don't care that you say this. I love you anyway. That's God's love. The second thing that separates it is God's love is sacrificial. It's a big word, but God's love is sacrificial. It requires sacrifice, willingly choosing to sacrifice. John 15 says, this is my command. This is Jesus talking. This, this is my command. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Obviously, Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate example of this. He sacrificed his life literally for each and every one of us. God's love means putting aside yourself, your priorities, your opinions, your thoughts for the benefit of others. And usually that doesn't make sense or how you apply that doesn't make sense. Uh, Dash, for instance, I'll give you an example from my life. Dash absolutely loves to play with action figures. He's got like Thor and Hulk and Captain America And he loves to play with these action figures. But you know what he loves more than playing with action figures? He loves it when I will go up there, upstairs in his room, and play action figures with him. Which is cute, except it's not very fun. Let me just tell you. Because, like, that sounds cool. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you play your action figures. Dash's idea of playing action figures is taking them and smashing them into one another, which usually means, like, I'm, I'm holding them, my finger gets crushed over and over repeatedly for hours on end. And he, he wants to come up with a story. Usually he picks a villain, and it's usually whatever action figure I'm holding. I get to be the villain, which probably says more about his relationship with me, but that's okay. We'll deal with that in therapy later. Anyway, and so basically what he means is, I want you to sit on my floor, and I want you to allow me to smash whatever action figure you're holding, Hulk smash it, for like hours on end. That's what he wants to do. Can I tell you, that's not very fun, okay? When he asks me, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. But I love him, so I do it anyway. Now, that's a very small sacrifice. But it's taking what I would prefer to do, my preferences, setting it aside, sacrificing it, because I love him in spite of that. And that can be applied in a lot of different ways, but God's love is sacrificial. It requires us laying down our priorities, our things for someone else. Self-interest love is beneficial. Constantly evaluating if, if how I appreciate that person, if I'm loving that person, if I'm creating a relationship with that person, if it's benefiting me. If it benefits me, then it's okay to sacrifice at an appropriate cost. But if it costs me more than I'm willing to pay, well, then I got to get out. I can't do that. That's, that's self-interest love. Now, at this point, here's what I want you to do. You've got to ask yourself where you fall in, in this whole thing. Like, go to the next slide for me. There's like a little thing. All right. So if God's love is way over here and it's unconditional and self-interest love is way over here and it's conditional, the first thing I want you to do tonight in order to figure out where you fall on this is I want you to ask yourself, where am I? Where would you say you are on the scale from unconditionally loving other people to conditionally loving other people? Where do you fall? Are you the type of person? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer. Are you the type of person that you put conditions on how much you care about people? I'll care about people, but only to a certain amount because I don't want to overcare and then get hurt. I don't want to give them too much of my love, too much of my care, too much of my heart, too much of my time because I've been hurt before. And if I give too much, so my love is conditional. It's only if you meet these conditions. Are you more unconditional? 
You try, you love people, you care about people, and it costs you sometimes, costs you relationships, it costs you heartache, but you know what? You just, that's who you are. Find out where you fall on this scale, you got to know. Go to the next one. God's love is sacrificial. Self-interest is beneficial. Where do you fall on the scale? How much do you sacrifice of your own comfort, of your own opinions, of your own thoughts, of your own preferences for others? Or are you beneficial? Yeah, I'll show love to somebody. I'll care about somebody. I'll go out of my way to help somebody, but only if I get something out of it. What's your motives when you're nice to somebody? Is it because it's going to get you something? Popularity, favor, attention? You got to figure out where you sit on that scale. Because where you are on that scale tells you where you need to correct, where you need to cultivate, where you need to start to dig. And here's how we wrap this up. More than just tell you what you need to work on, we need to know how to, how to do that, how to fix it, how to cultivate. So I want to leave you with a couple things. How to cultivate love in your life. Number one, remove all conditions. Remove all conditions. What conditions must be met for you to love someone? I don't mean love romantic love. I mean care about and go out of your way to care for and show interest in another person. What conditions must be met? Well, I, I, you know what? I'll love anybody, but not if they're a, not if they're a Spurs fan. <laughs> right? Like, I can love anybody, but I can't love a Cowboys fan. I'll, I, I'll love anybody, but only if they get me something. If they, I, they got to buy me a gift. Or, you know, they got to earn my love. You know, I, I'll, I'll care about anybody, but only if they, they, they believe like I believe. Only if they support the causes that I support. I'll, I'll love anybody but only if they benefit me in some way. If there's a condition to your love, that's not God's love. That's self-interest love. This girl that I went to college with is before Christy. Obviously, Christy won, so it doesn't matter. And, and, and I'm about to tell you why this one lost. There's this girl in college that I was interested in and had dinner. We, uh, I was super smooth, so I had at the time I had a Jeep. It's stupid, but anyway... I put the top down of the Jeep. We went out and, like, looked at the stars. It was really, I just want to say it was awesome. We went out on this date. I felt like I went out of my way to show her a good time, to try to do my best to, to make it a good first date. It felt like it was. The problem was, the, uh, the, like, the next day I saw her. Hey, what's going on? She was, like, not rude, but, like, you could tell she just was, like, hey, and just kept moving. And I was like, hold up. We had a good first date. So my roommate at the time was friends with, or was dating her roommate. So I was like, dude, you got to find out from your girl what happened. Like, did she just not have a good time? That's fine. Okay, whatever. We'll move on. Or what? So he goes, he does some reconnaissance for me, some research. He comes back and he tells me, all right, she actually had a great time. I'm like, cool. He says, but she said she wants to be pursued. Pursued. I was like, what does that mean? He said, she wants to be chased. Like she wants, she wants you to go like make the big grand gestures and be over the top to really go out of your way to show her that you want to date her. I was like, all right. Uh, that's a little, that's a little crazy. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, you know, I'm in college, right? I don't have any money. It's like, we're eating, we went and looked at the stars cause I couldn't afford a movie. Right? Like it sounds romantic, but it was really cause I was broke. Um, 
So I was like, what? He goes, yeah, she wants someone to put in the effort to chase her. I was like, I texted her and said, let's go out. How much more effort do I need to put in? So I was like, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for this. I'm out. And, and it didn't happen. Now, I, obviously it's a good thing because I ended up with the right person after all. But my point is that if there are conditions that have to be met in order for you to care about another person, that's not God's love. That's self-interest love. If you're looking for a reason to count someone out, to not care about someone, you will always find it. If you're looking for a reason that someone will not be enough in your life, you'll always find it. Why? Because we're, none of us are perfect. We all have flaws. So if you're looking for a flaw, you're going to find it. And when you find it, you're like, ah, see, that's why I didn't, that's why I didn't give more of my heart to that person. That's why I didn't care more about that person because I knew they weren't perfect. Well, guess what? You'll never find anyone who is. And then like we read in that scripture earlier, if you don't have love, you have nothing. Jesus refused to treat people by their current condition, by their flaws. He looked past the reasons not to love them and love them anyway. And if we say we are his followers, we have to do the same. We cannot afford to see people by their current broken status. We have to look past that and love them anyway. We have to remove all conditions. Number two, we have to work, work, work to be consistent. Everyone say consistent. Consistent. Let me ask you a question. Is your love, is how much you care about other people, is it day to day? Does it depend on your mood? Are you a flaky person? Someday you really care about other people, and then some days you're like, eh, not so much. Now, I'm not talking about want to be around people. There are days where I'm like, man, I don't want to be around people. I'm tired, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're genuinely, when someone genuinely needs you to love or care or you know, show concern about them, are you day to day? Does it depend on your mood? Do you love people more or less depending on your mood, depending on how hungry you are, depending on your attitude that day? Because if any of that is true, you lack consistency. And you got to fix that. In a previous job of mine, uh, there was this lady that worked in the office, and we knew when she came in in the morning what kind of mood she was in and what kind of attitude she was going to have, what kind of morning it was going to be, because she would walk in and we'd say, good morning, and her response immediately told you everything you needed to know. If it was a good day, she'd go, good morning, and you're like, okay, we can talk to her today. It's going to be great. She's easy to get along with. If she came in and we said, good morning, and she said, one of two things. She either said, it's a morning. Like, just dead straight, like, yep, it's a morning. Not a good one, it's just a morning. Or, she didn't say anything. She just would ignore you. You go, good morning, and she'd be like, you knew it was a bad day, stay away from her. She's radioactive today. Get away from this lady. Her mood changed from day to day. And we didn't know if it was going to be a good morning, a bad morning, a stay away from her morning. Because it was, she was fickle. Her love, her attitude was inconsistent. And it made her difficult to be around. Nobody wanted to like, work with her because you just never knew how volatile she would be. We cannot afford to be inconsistent. And consistency is not automatic. You don't just automatically be consistent. Things don't naturally stay consistent. Science tells us at the very most basic level that all things continually are downgrading. They're getting worse. They're moving towards death. That's just the way things go. So you're not going to accidentally be consistent. Consistency is a learned, disciplined skill. 
So if you want to cultivate love in your life, we said, number one, you got to remove all conditions. Number two, you got to work at being consistent in that every day. You got to choose to show love. And number three, you got to pass it on. You got to pass it on. When you display the fruit of God, the love of God, it's not only displayed in you, but people experience it and they're left with something. When you eat an apple, we said earlier, it's, it's, it's delicious if you like apples. It's, it's nourishing. It's healthy. But it also has what on the inside? Seeds. What's a seed? What's a seed do? It can grow into more apples eventually, right? That's how it works. So an apple not only contains nourishment for you currently, for your current body, but it contains the potential to reproduce more of itself in future settings. When you carry the love of God in your life, not only do you impact those around you there in that moment, not only do you carry the love of God in your life, but you can carry with you and pass on the seeds of God's love in their life so that not only do you display and walk in and carry and bear the fruit of the love of God, but so can they. You pass it on, you multiply it so that you're not just carrying the love of God for you and for that person in that moment, but you're instilling in them something that lives beyond you. And it multiplies to them and it multiplies to their life and their influence and their world and their people. And so something that became very, a very simple start in your life, a very small practice of forgetting all conditions, of working to be consistent, of passing it on, moves from just impacting your life to impacting the life around you. Everything becomes exponentially domino affected after you choose to practice the love of God. That's why it's the first fruit. That's why when they list the nine fruit of the Spirit we read earlier, love is the first one because every other thing falls from love. You can't have joy without love. You can't have peace without love. You can't have patience without love. Why? Because love is the root of everything. Even the world knows that. Even non-Christian people know that love is the core. It is the, the prime thing everyone needs. There's songs about it. Not just the romantic kind of love, but there's so many songs about how we're supposed to love people and care about people. And if we just would just believe in love and all these things. Why? Because even the world can see that love is a powerful thing. How much more powerful is love in its inception, in, its, in the way it's, it was created by God? When you choose to live out the love of God, it impacts those around you and it plants the, God, the seed of God's love to be created in them. And here's where I want to close out. Stand up. I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions as we wrap this up because anytime, and I don't know if you know this, maybe you're new to church. Anytime you come into church and you're in a service and something is told to you, knowledge is passed on to you, you at that point have two things to do. Anytime. I don't care if it's me preaching. I don't care if it's Pastor Rusty. I don't care if you're sitting in a kid's church and you heard the lesson. Anytime you're in a, a place where the word of God, the truth of God is being shared, you have, a pri you have a privilege and you have an opportunity to do two things. Number one, understand what's being said, the truth of what's being said. And number two, apply it in your own life. Ask yourself, where am I in this and what can I do better? That's what church is about. It's about a lot of things. But that's what the message particular time of the church setting is about. It's about understanding truth in a new way, new things that you didn't know, and applying them to your life. So here's what I want to ask you today. Go back to the scale, and we don't have to put it up there, Joe, but you saw it. 
on the scale of God's love to self-interest love, to world love, where are you at? How much of your life bears the fruit of God's love? How much of your life would you say God's love is at work in? If you had to give your, rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, what number would you rate at? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate yourself? How much of God's love is at work in your life? Because if we read scripture earlier that tells us that if we don't have the love of God in our life, we have nothing, and you rate really low on that scale, then that tells you you don't have anything. You have nothing. You'd be like, man, that Pika, that's harsh, man. Are you saying my life's nothing? If the love of God's not at work in it, yeah, I am. I'm not saying you're worthless. I'm saying where you're currently at has so much greater potential that you are not getting to. And that sounds like a super dad teacher thing to say. You have so much potential. But as children, as creations of God, we are created for amazing, impactful destinies. And so many people go through their life living mediocre lives in mediocre ways, in mediocre situations, not knowing that they were meant to be heroic, world-changing, crazy revolutionaries. I would say that each and every one of you, especially those of you that I know very well, you're created for amazing things. And you may not even believe that about yourself. That's not even like a, a super like inspirational, well, I'm a youth pastor, so I have to say that garbage to you. No, I say it because I believe it. Because I know what you're capable of, and more importantly, I know what the Holy Spirit is capable of through each and every one of us. But it all starts with God's love. How much do you care about other people? How much do you practice consistency? Do you go out of your way to love people even when they don't benefit you? They don't help you in any way? They don't like you? And that noise tells me right there that we already have problems. How much do you love the people that don't like you? It's instinctive to say, not at all. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. I don't like those people at all. It's very telling. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, ask yourself, where am I on the scale? One to ten, world's self-interested love and God's love. Where am I at? What changes do I need to make? Do I need to stop putting conditions on how much I, how and when I care about people? Do I need to be more consistent and not so flaky that day to day, who knows if I'm going to be in a good mood or a bad mood? What do I need to change now in this moment? Because every one of us, myself included, have something to change based on this information. We all have something to do differently. And by walking out this door and not changing things, we are willingly choosing to walk away from God. And the reality is, statistically, there's people in this room that will walk out and not care a thing about what I just said. It happens. Some of you will get it. Some of you will not. It's not the right time. One day it'll click and you'll come back. Whether it's to hear or to 
God in some other form or fashion, you'll get there. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just tell God, very simply, if, if you're falling short, if you're not doing it, if you're not getting where you're supposed to be, especially if you know it, just ask God to forgive you. Tell him you're sorry. It's very simple. It doesn't have to be this big, like, weeping, tears. Just if, you me- if you're messing up, just tell God you're sorry. And not just that you're sorry, but, hey, I'm going to actually try to do better. doesn't mean you'll be the super most loving person tomorrow, but it means you'll be a little bit better than you are today. Or maybe a lot better than you are today, depending on how you were today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to hear and learn and grow closer to you. Not just closer to you in a very churchy thing, but God, to try to be a little bit more like you, to, to have less of our selfish, uh, self-interest-driven motives going on in our life and be more focused on what you're doing in this world, what you're wanting to do in the lives around us that we can actually help reach and accomplish. God, help us to see the truth of who you are and help us to practice your love more, move more towards your unconditional love. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more from Relentless, hit subscribe or check us out on Instagram or Facebook.